Good morning, folks. Pastor Chuck Blair, great to have you here this morning. Whether you're joining us live in our studio audience or you're joining us across the country, it's wonderful to have you here like today. I just want to start out with just a, a quick little pitch to you folks. That is at New Church Live, you know, we're very aware that we live in changing times and so much of church now is, is yes, some of it's in person, a lot of it's online. And how do we better serve those two audiences? So I would like to invite you, if you have any interest in that particular topic and you want to get into a conversation around it, we're going to start something called an ambassador program. It's a real simple idea. We're just looking for people who are watching from different parts of the country and, and just looking at a way to incorporate their ideas, their thoughts in because their experience is important and our experience together as a congregation matters as we seek to build community. If that interests you and, and you're interested, yeah, how do, how, do we, how do we do this and what does it look like? And I have some ideas I'd like to share. I'd warmly invite you to text me at 215 740-3662, that number will come up several times during the service, or shoot us a note, or put it in the social media comments, and join us on September 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we get into a conversation around how this can look. So that's an invite. Now today is, is a second invite, and today we're taking a look again at the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, it's just, you know, friends, like, it's so good. It's just... It's, it's an incredible document. And, and you could look at it a bunch of different ways. One is if you think of the Old Testament, in other words, the part of the Bible that's written before the birth of Jesus and the Ten Commandments kind of being the cornerstone there. And then you look at the four gospels, which were written about Jesus's life. Really the Sermon on the Mount is at that same level as the Ten Commandments because it offers this, this, this amazing view of life. I mean, it's, it's still... I, I mean, I've been a pastor now for, for close to 20 years, and, and it's still rereading it. It, it still is like, wow, this is, this is miraculous. It's miraculous. It's such a flip on, on how we see the world. Even to this day, there's these, there's these challenges, and it's kind of this bright defiance in terms of how we see the world, but it's done with such joy and such love that, that the image is, is, I don't want to say intoxicating, but the image is clearly compelling. And the beautiful part with it, too, is it doesn't say anything in there that we don't at a certain level already know. At a certain level, we know most of the things that Jesus talks about here. We may not have heard them phrased. We may not have given voice to them, but we know this stuff is true. We know this is a way, a new way of living life. From a Christian New Church perspective, we believe very much that, that Jesus, sometimes you'll hear in New Church circles, uh, Jesus will be called the Lord. Uh, you know, that the, the, the power of Jesus comes down to this, this, this marriage of divinity and humanity. And, and both coming together, I mean, that's, that's the part of Jesus, both coming together, or the Lord, if you're from a traditional New Church background. N.T. Wright put this beautifully. I love this line. He said, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama which has him as the central character. And that's, that's what I'm going to ask all of us today is to kind of like inhabit these words. Because today we're going to be talking about loving your enemy, which is one of the bigger challenges. Now, now to set that challenge up, 
You know, Mark Twain is always, always good for a quote. Here's a quote from Mark Twain that I love a lot. I have no problem with those parts of the Bible I don't understand. It's those parts of the Bible I do understand that give me fits. That's a great line. And, and I, think, I think we have that, right? There's certain parts of the Bible, like we can just say, I don't really get that. But then the parts we do, they can give us fits, not because they're, they're otherworldly per se, especially when it comes down to the Sermon on the Mount, but because it's very easy to say these things, very challenging to do these things, and arguably none of that more so than this phrase, love your enemies, love your enemies. Now, I'm gonna put out there a real important caveat because this comes up every time we go anywhere near this topic. There are those situations where you must separate yourself from someone, where you can no longer love them per se. Maybe the best you can do is send your love to them because they're toxic, they're dangerous. It's not good to be around that person. Because I've seen sometimes a servant saying, love your, love your enemies, period, end of story. I don't think that's necessarily true. We can take that too far and put ourselves in bad situations. So there clearly are times where we have to have that separation. But as Miroslav Wolf said, we need to come from this place that our primary orientation has to be what he called the willingness to embrace. In other words, our initial intention always has to be to love your enemy as best as we can. And, and don't look at that, folks. You know, I think it's so easy to look at that and to think, well, that was easy for Jesus to say. Everybody loved Jesus. Folks, read the Easter story. <laughs> Not everybody loved Jesus. He died because of that. So understand that when, when he is saying, like, love your enemies, both coming back to, to N.T. Wright's words, that's, you want to know what God thinks about holding these things? Look at these words by Jesus. You want to know what the best of human, how the best of humanity looks at these things? Look at these words of Jesus. Like, how do these things get held? Because I think it's so counterintuitive. We have all these arrows that are going the direction that most of us, most of us live by, which is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Somebody gets mad at us, we get mad at them. Somebody hits us, we hit back. It's eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. The Latin phrase for that is lex talionis, otherwise known as the law of retribution. And it makes, it makes our moral equations very simple. Very, very simple. Almost too simple. And today, maybe we can just bump it out and maybe start to understand things in a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit more counterintuitive, a little bit more, frankly, challenging way. The things are not always that easy. Because what we move from here, folks, is, is, is we move from, again, this eye from eye to tooth to tooth, tooth to tooth for tooth. We move from, a, from an idea that it's all about crime and punishment. All about crime and punishment. And there is a place for consequences, I mean, clearly. But there's something maybe even more important, which is Reconciliation. Now, reconciliation, I love that word because to reconcile doesn't mean that you forget the past, you forget the harms, you forget what people have done. It means you're trying to bring all of it forward into a new relationship as best you can. Will that always work? Obviously not. Will it work some of the time? Absolutely. Is that what Jesus calls us to? No question about it. And that shift is challenging. And it's interesting because, again, I think we have to make that shift both in terms of how we see other people, 
and also in terms of how we see ourselves. Because a lot of us beat ourselves up pretty badly. And even that needs the work of reconciliation. Not saying in a Pollyannish way we make no mistakes, but, but how do we pull all that forward, all that forward into our lives in a real truly loving way? Now, as the musicians come out, I wanna just cue you with a little question that we'll come back to as part of the service. And it's this question here. And the question is, in what ways are we our own worst enemies? Or what way are you your own worst enemy? And we're gonna be tying that back in, both the enemy out there and the enemy back here as we come back to the service. And the whole point is, folks, the whole point is this. Maybe today we can have a service where you just breathe and we're able to rise up a bit able to see things in a new way, from a new height, and find that, that, that love, and I want to say the word relief even, that relief of, of maybe there are new ways, third ways, to handle the challenges of life and the challenges of this world. So friends, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to New Church Live. Good morning. We're so spoiled to have Levi playing with us today. Something special.
the day I'll rise up In spite of the ache I will rise A thousand times again And we'll rise up Rise like the waves We'll rise up In spite of the ache We'll rise up And we'll do it a thousand What an incredibly beautiful song and, and that idea of, of rising up. And, and, and I just think that's so much the Sermon on the Mount, this rising up, this, this really trying to as best we can in ways not always perfect, but to really live into the better angels of our nature. And I want to start by just, just reading you, reading you part of the, the story here. And this is the part talking about the, the learning to love your enemies. You have heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That goes back thousands of years to the Old Testament. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even, do not even tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Be perfect. And there, it's, the word perfect there means whole, being whole. Being whole, therefore, as your heavenly Father is. Incredibly beautiful lines there and, and such a counterintuitive way to think and to, and to think about the world and to think about how we can hold things. Because, because we live in a world, folks, right now that identifies the enemy very quickly, very quickly. Just look at our political system. It's not functioning. It's not functioning because we're so quick to know exactly who the enemy is. And it's the same with so many parts of the world, right? This is, and this isn't a new problem. This is an ancient problem. And here's maybe a third way to look at it. Now, I want to start with this question. You know, who is, who is the enemy is a big question. And you could think of it personally, like, who's your enemy? And there's a number of different ways. I just want to sort of give a, almost a mosaic here of like, yeah, you can see it this way, you can see it this way, you can see it this way. One way to understand our enemies is that, that our enemy is somebody who has harmed or threatened us. And that threat can be absolutely real. Most of us in here have been harmed or threatened by at least one other person. And it's also, 
I think, significant to note, add a footnote, which is that sometimes that harm or that threat is imagined not real. I mean, how many times have we had those experiences where you talk to somebody and, and you, you mention to them, I always thought you were so mad at me, and they're like, nope, wasn't even thinking about you. That harm, that threat, real or imagined, that's one way of seeing the enemy. Another way of seeing it is this, folks, that, that maybe the enemy is this. Maybe our enemy is this. It becomes more a question of what we fear. <clears throat> our enemy becomes what we fear out there in the world. If we fear something, anything that represents that clearly will become, in our view, an enemy. And it's, again, it's dividing the world. It's, it's, it's anything that's starting to get into this binary. I say it a lot in here, like the word diabolical means to be divided. We start to divide things in parts. I think that can, be, that can connect back to this one. And I, I think as well, folks, like, and this is another sort of tile, another mosaic tile we can think about. And this is both how I think we often define enemies or define those who we, we, we really dislike as well as with ourselves. And this is, this is hard to make the right transition on, so I'm just gonna, gonna jump into it. I think one of the cautionary tales of all of this, of all of this, is sometimes with an enemy, what we've done and with ourselves is, is we've frozen them. So we've put them in a place where we're sure that they are these one, two, or three worst events of their life. We're positive of it. They did this thing to us. And sometimes it may have been, they did it once, they did it twice, they did three. They did this thing to us. And so they are forever frozen in that event. Again, caveat, like important to know that can people do something so horrific that we're best to have distance? Absolutely. But we're talking more sort of run-of-the-mill enemies here. Enemies in quotes. You know, where have we done that? Where have we taken others and said, no, you're, you're really just this event. You're nothing else. I mean, think how debilitating that is in terms of relationship with another person. And one way to get a sense how debilitating it is when we put ourselves there and we believe ourselves that we individually, that we are only the one, two, or three worst events that we ever did. I think... That can happen too, right? Where we, where we freeze ourselves like, I am just this. I'm just and only this. And we have to see that a little differently as well. We want to be able to move out of that, folks, so we can see life in a lot more of a nuanced way. And I love this quote here. This is a piece of Christian New Church theology. And it's, it's, it's about trying to get a bigger view, a bigger view of people. The word teaches nothing but the need for each of us to live in charity with our neighbor and to love the Lord above all. People who do this have deeper dimensions inside. So any illusions they acquire from the literal meaning, literal meaning of the Bible, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, for example, are easily dispelled. I think that's what we want to start thinking about, folks, is, is, is what are, how do, we, how do we come at this? Like, if it's about loving your enemy, it, it can't just be like, just plain love your enemy. Well, how do we start to do that? How do we actually work at that? And one way to do it is, is to really 
do the work to start to see the deeper dimensions in other people. Start, starting to see them in more three-dimensional than just flat two-dimensional. One author, and I preached on this a couple of years ago because I think it's a beautiful line. He said, he said, the trick is not to see people as a set of photographs, but to see them as a movie. Isn't that good? To see them as a movie. Some days, are, they're going to be amazing. Some days, they're going to be courageous. Some days, they're going to do amazing stuff. Other days, not so much. And that way of starting to see that these bigger, deeper dimensions, I think it opens us up to what it means to truly love the neighbor. And how is it then specifically that we really come to love, to love others? Well, here's, here's what this particular story says, and I'm going to talk about these very briefly, but they're really significant. First off, it says, turn the other cheek, you know, and that's, we hear that a lot. Well, again, let's, let's just look at it. Let's wrestle with this a little bit. Turn the other cheek. Now, it's, it's interesting in this, Jesus says, you know, if, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. And, and the way it's described with the side of the face it gets hit, it's, it's somebody giving you a backhand. And notice the way the language here works. It doesn't say run away, and it doesn't say punch them back. In other words, fight or flight. Loving, part of loving your enemy is actually standing your ground. It's actually saying, no, no, this is, this is the stand I'm going to make, this stand for love right here. I mean, right now I could quote about a million things that Martin Luther King said and did during the Civil Rights Movement that, that really encapsulate this. And you can bring some to your mind as well. It's not about running away and it's not about fighting. It's about a fight that is standing your ground. That I need you to know that I'm gonna love you enough to overcome hatred. I need you to know that I'm gonna consistently do the best I can to keep trying to bring goodwill to this situation where it doesn't feel like it. I need you to know that love wins. I need you to know that this is the stand I'm taking, that I'm not gonna be moved off my mark. I think those are the pieces, folks, we're talking about here. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Goes on, says, hand over your coat, a beautiful one. So, so. That, that, one, that one reminds me again of this beautiful line in the Gospel of John, a line that brings a smile all the time, where, where John is asked, what does repentance? He asks, how do you repent? John the Baptist asks, how do you repent? And he said, oh, this is easy. This is how you repent. If you have two of one thing and you only need one, you give the one you don't need away. I think that's sort of the connotation here. Next one, go the second mile. That's, that's a famous, that's a famous one, traveling the second mile. And, and that one has beautiful roots back into, back into actually to Roman military history. And that's where we see a little tie where the, where the history and the spiritual message weave together beautifully here. What that meant in, in Roman history is that a Roman soldier, as they were on march, they could command somebody, and, and at this time, the land of Israel was, it was an occupied territory. They could command this other person, like your job is to carry my stuff. And I could command you to do that. You had to do that by Roman law. Can you guess how many miles you had to carry it? One. So when it says, go that second mile, 
Here's, here's again, a, a very different kind of, no, you're making a stand here. I mean, who would leave that relationship diminished? And I'm using the word diminished very lightly there. I mean, clearly, a Roman soldier who says, you're commanded to walk this stuff for a mile, here you go, you walk a mile, and the person goes, I'm going to walk it a second mile. How's the power dynamic shifted there? How is the taking a stand shifted there? How is the way love looks shifted there? Maybe even how, how is the definition of enemy shifted there? Small line, tiny line, go the second mile. Huge implications, huge implications. When we look at that, folks, and we keep going through this, talks about giving. The job is to give, give, give this idea of generosity. And then this one, pray for them, pray for them. I remember one time and, and, and being totally stunned. I was probably, I mean, this is embarrassing to say, it was, was probably well into my 30s. And I was holding forth with someone about some person who I really disliked and that blah, 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 blah. And, and the person said, Chuck, why don't you pray for them? It never had occurred to me to do that. Never had occurred to me. And, it's, and folks, when we pray for somebody who is quote unquote our enemy, it's not that you're praying for them like, dear Lord, let them know I'm right and they're wrong. That's not the prayer. And it's not a prayer for them to struggle or suffer or live in their own consequences or anything like that. The prayer I think that the Lord would ask us to have is a prayer of softness, of gentleness, of simply asking like, Lord, be with them. Lord, help me to understand them maybe a little better. Help me to understand how to move this relationship forward. It's gotta have that softness to it because that softness creates that edge where change can actually happen. And then of course, all this stuff comes down to love. It comes down to love. Now, as we go through this, I think one real significant thing to remember is this quote, and this is from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Read any story of transformation and you will always find a significant other. Things don't shift unless we do something, right? Unless we somehow find a way to shift it. And shifting it is more than just a comment on social media or a like or a dislike. It's where we actually do some of these things, where we actually practice some of these things. I mean, is there space? I don't know. There might not be, but maybe there's space with someone who you're particularly having, you know, a contentious time with to take them out for a cup of coffee. And maybe, ready for this, maybe not even to talk about what the contentious point is. This is a little bit of an aside, a little bit of an aside. Sometimes I wonder this. Sometimes I wonder if we've fallen a little bit too much in love with solving every problem. Because some problems are just difficult. And I don't know how solvable every problem is. And maybe the best we can do is do our best, not ignore it, to have candid conversations, to share where we're coming from, listen to where they're coming from, but then to just have a different conversation altogether, to know this is a bad neighborhood. Every time we go there, it ends up a fight and everybody leaves feeling beat up. Maybe there's a different neighborhood we can go to, 
where the conversation's much better, much more coming from the joy, hope, gratitude circuit. And maybe that's where the shift can start to happen. When we, when we start to see that, folks, when we start to understand how, how that can work, that, that, that all these transformations, they happen when we come into contact with a significant other or when we ourselves are that significant other. When, when, we, really to, when we really choose to do this thing that's, that's morally creative in a certain way, when we really choose to do this, this third way kind of thinking, like how do we break out of these binaries and really come with moral imagination to figure out what a third way looks like. And Jesus points to a lot of different ideas there. There's power in that. One of my, my favorite, well, it's hands down my favorite Broadway show. It's, it's, it's I, probably my favorite story is the story Les Mis. It's a beautiful story. I've, I say this all the time, but, but if you're new to Christianity or you're not sure whether Christianity has anything to offer, Go and see Les Mis. Go and see Les Mis. And if you don't cry, I think, see it again. <laughs> see it until you cry. Because it's that powerful. It's that profound. It's, it's, that is the Christian message. That is what Christianity at its very best, as Jesus would have it, would have us hold it. I think if Jesus arrived in modern times, he would say, yeah, read the Sermon on the Mount. Go see Les Mis. You'll get what I'm talking about. And there's this beautiful scene in, in Les Mis. Jean Valjean, who's the, who's the sort of the hero of the story, uh, he stole bread, he ends up in prison, and, and he escapes from prison because he's just had too much. And, uh, and then he's, he's absolutely desperate, and he goes to a convent, he goes to a, a Catholic church, and he steals the silverware. And he gets caught stealing the silverware. A little few to, day or so later, he gets caught stealing the silverware. And the priest has this amazing reaction. It's amazing reaction to that theft. And it comes right out of this, folks. Like this is, this, what you're gonna see in this video clip, you're gonna see the Sermon on the Mount lived into real life. So I want you to enjoy this little clip. It's a beautiful clip of Jean Valjean stealing the silver, getting caught, and then watching how reconciliation and loving your enemy can look and can work and what comes out of it. Enjoy the clip. just me and my mom against the world and all my sympathies were with her when I was a little girl and I've seen both my parents play out the hands that they were dealt as each year goes by I know more about how my father must have felt I just want you to understand that I know what all the fighting was for and I just want you to understand I'm not angry anymore 
not angry anymore She taught me how to wage Cold war with quiet charm But I just want to walk Through my life unarmed To accept and just get by Like my father learned to do But without all the acceptance And getting by That got my father through I just want you to understand That I know what all the fighting was for And I just want you to understand I'm not angry anymore No, I'm not angry anymore Night falls like into love and we generate our own light to compensate for the lack of light from above and every time we fight a cold wind blows our way but we can learn like the trees how to bend how to sway and say I I think I understand what all this fighting is for and baby I just want you Church Live, it's Angela. I just want to encourage you all to make a donation to New Church Live. And I do want to acknowledge the fact that we did come up pretty short with our fundraising goal last fiscal year that ended on June 30th. Um, we were about $100,000 short of our goal, which I want you all to know you can rest easy. We will make sure that we can make up that ground with some of the savings that we've um, accumulated over the past years and some cost saving or reallocation of funds. So New Church Live is going to continue to operate um, seamlessly despite our shortfall. But I will say this is actually the most powerful time of the year because if you set up a reoccurring gift right now at the beginning of our fiscal year, your donation has the ability to make a huge impact on our goal for next year. So we say it's about $20 a week for everybody who watches this service. So if you set up a reoccurring gift of $20 a week right now, you will be able to support New Church Live at the level it takes to sustain operations for this next fiscal year. 
So we're encouraging everybody who can make that commitment to do so today. You can do it on all of the major platforms that I talk about. You can text the word New Church Live, all one word, all lowercase to 77977. You can go to our website or you can use the QR code. And um, we always say this, if $20 a week is too much for you, then please you know, donate at the level that you can. When you go to our reoccurring gift page, you can set up the reoccurring donation that works for you. Maybe it's once a month, maybe it's once a week, uh, maybe it's more than $20 a week to account for people who might not be able to do that if you are able to, or maybe it's a little less than that, but $20 is the benchmark for what it takes to sustain operations from everybody who watches New Church Live. So we hope you'll consider making a donation and setting up that reoccurring gift that has a powerful impact on our operations. So thank you everybody who's donated in the past and thank you to everybody considering setting up a donation today. Thanks everyone. Angela, folks, what a what a beautiful song and 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 that that clip, right? And you can just you just see it. I mean, I love the words in there where where the priest says, you know, I've now ransomed you from fear and hatred and given you back to God. Mm. Ransomed you from fear and hatred, and I've given you back to God. That's that's beautiful. That's the world I know we want. That's that song, beautiful song that, that those wonderful musicians just played. You know, I'm not angry anymore. What's that world like? I mean, just imagine that question, like who is the enemy? How that question shifts. And you see all these different themes, folks. You know, you know here's this, this priest in this beautiful scene. And, and again, this priest is so well done. You know, he's clearly seeing this person beyond the worst event they did in their life. This priest from that clip refuses to reduce the person to their worst event. Refuses to do it. And you talk about courage. Like, don't ever think religion's soft or spirituality doesn't cause you to do something, doesn't, doesn't ask you to make a stand, doesn't ask you, again, make a stand. It absolutely does. That's, that's courageous to not free somebody down to one event or one little slide. Courageous to do that for them and courageous for you to do it for yourself. And could you see this? Could you see the second mile there? Could you see somebody going to the limit and then going, yep, I can go a mile more? Absolutely, that's a second mile, a beautiful example of the second mile. And as Christian New Church theology would put it, did that priest see the deeper dimensions in another person? Absolutely, absolutely. That's what we're so much called to do. And it's, and it's this movement away from kind of a, a doorkeeper mentality. You know, other times we need to be a doorkeeper. Again, important caveat, of course. But if, if, we're, if we're just completely enamored and almost consumed by the idea that, that we are doorkeepers, that, that we are the ones who get to decide who's in and who's out, I think Jesus would ask us to rethink that. A quote I loved, and I remember, I, you know, I taught in public high school for a long time, 
And, and this person gave this quote in terms of coming down too hard on students. And, and they said, you know, well, the warden is a prisoner too. God, that's, that's a good point. I love this quote about doorkeeping. No one ever perceives the doorkeeper as needing an invitation themselves. And I think we all have that part of us. We all have the part that finds, as Mark Twain says, yeah, I can understand love your enemy, but it gives me fits because I want, I want to be a doorkeeper. And maybe we can just park that a little bit. Maybe we can go back to those inner, deeper dimensions. Maybe we can go back to the second mile. Maybe we can go back to, to, to seeing people in their fullness and their humanity. Because... I think maybe if we practice enough, love our neighbor and love our enemies, we just, life in a way gets simple. I'm just gonna love. Taking stands, obviously. And I'm just going to love. Faith then as the eye of love. Can that be part of a change in the world? Absolutely. Coming back to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. You cannot change society. And I hear I would say, I think you could add in if you're not, if, if you're just in a relation, if you're coming to church today and a relationship's feeling stuck, you could, you could move the word from change society to change a relationship. You cannot change society by indignation, condemnation, character assassination, and self-righteousness, all communicated by social media. You change the world by changing people and you change people by engaging with them, recognizing that they too are people with values and ideals of their own. And I wanna close here, you know, when I look at that, somebody who's watching online sent this very, very appropriate thought. One of the many ways I am my worst enemy is my focus on possible or impossible futures. I will rehearse all kinds of conversations or scenarios that may or may not happen, usually from fear or anger or negative emotions. And doing that, miss all the opportunities in the present to do the next right thing. Beautifully said. Because that's the opportunity here, folks. The, the opportunity is, is, is one where, you know, anytime Jesus gives a command, I, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go to Ohio to get to New Jersey here for a second. Any, anytime Jesus gives a command, yeah, we can read it as a command. We need to hear it as a command at certain times. But then we also have to flip it and see, yeah, you have to see Jesus saying this with a smile and going like, yeah, and this is the promise. So of course, there's a way in which here where, where we can think it's an impossible future, as this person had said. It's impossible. We make up all kinds of scenarios. This is why we can never love our enemies. We make all excuses. Yeah. We doorkeep. We do all that stuff. We do all that, right? And, and maybe we can lean a little bit into this and it will start to give us a very different perspective and we start to lean into that and, and things will start to shift and shift pretty dramatically. And it's this shift in here and then we can become this, this person that can be a force of transformation out there into the world. Something that literally, where we literally become an agent of transformation. But it's no longer an agent of transformation where we're coming in sort of guns blazing. It's, it's where things have moved from a command to this beautiful idea of a promise. So imagine this. Imagine we could really work at loving our enemies. However that looks for you. Second mile, giving, praying, however that looks. 
And then we just trust, and I think this is part of the faith journey. If we stick with that long enough, folks, there's this beautiful thing that happens. You know what that is? You start to love your enemies. You start to love people, everybody. Does it mean you're hanging out with everybody? That means they're all coming over to Thanksgiving dinner? No. <laughs> but it means that, that this thing that has become a command is now opened up in your heart. I mean, just picture Jesus smiling at you and going like, you know, one of these days, that person who you're really struggling right now, you're going to find a way. You're going to find a way to really love them. Imagine Jesus saying that. And then adding these two words, I promise. Oh, I mean, that's Sermon on the Mount. That's a counterintuitive world. And everyone watching this, wherever you're watching this, from California, Florida, you know, Key West, here in Philadelphia, you know that's true, right? And wouldn't that be a great world to live in? Because we know, folks, that love does save the day. And we live in a pretty dark time in a lot of ways. But maybe we live in a time as well where that darkness will allow the right choices to shine even more. Because it gives us a sense of what doesn't work. A contrasting opposite, as Swedenborg would say. So to close, may you have a week of loving your enemy as best that looks. May you have a week of that softness of seeing the deeper inner dimensions of people. And may you have a week where at the very least we don't freeze others. Don't freeze them to their own worst moment and certainly don't freeze yourself that way either. God loves the whole thing. God loves the whole thing. Amen. So friends, we're now going to shift gears. So we just have this beautiful music. Let's just take a little breath. And a gentle prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. And Lord, help us to not be angry anymore. Help us to remember that love will indeed save the day. Help us, Lord, to rise up to new perspectives, to new ways of seeing the world, and to do so with an incredible humility, a humility that's open to your will, to your way of seeing the world, to your life, to your way of being, knowing that ours is faulty and flawed, but precious in your sight. Be with us in this week ahead, Lord. Guide us, hold us, bring us home. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, bring you peace and bring you home. Amen. Have a great week, friends. You gotta be hard, you gotta be tough, you gotta be stronger You gotta be cool, you gotta be calm, you gotta stay together All I know, all I know is love will save the day Herald what your mother said, read the books your father read Try and solve the puzzle in your own sweet time Some may have more cash than you Others take a different view My, oh, my hey, You gotta be bad, you gotta be bold You gotta be wiser You gotta be hard, you gotta be tough You gotta be stronger You gotta be cool, you gotta be calm You gotta stay together All I know, all I know is love will save the day questions it goes on without you leaving you behind if you can't stand the pace the world keeps on spinning can't stop it if you try to the best part is danger staring you in the what the future holds try and keep your head up to the sky lovers they may cause you tears go ahead release your fears my oh my you gotta be bad you gotta be bold you gotta be wiser you gotta be hard you gotta be tough you gotta be stronger you gotta be cool, you gotta be calm, you gotta stay together All I know, all I know is love will save the day Got to be bad, got to be bold, got to be wise Not what others say, got to be hard, but not too, too hard Love will save the day.
Thanks so much. Have a great week. And thanks again to Levi for playing with us. Take care.